Have you heard about the man whose appetite could never be satisfied? The hungriest man in history was Terare, and the internet says it's true. Hey! Well, hey there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The Internet Says It's True is a show where every week we learn something that sounds like I made it up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast. My name is Michael Kent. This is episode 149. An absolutely unbelievable tale about a man from the 18th century. If you want to come see me perform my comedy and magic show live, I do have a couple shows coming up in Columbus, Ohio, July 20 and 21, with Eric Dittleman, who is an unbelievable mind reader and super, super funny. Those tickets are available for sale now. You can go to upfrontps.org for those. That's upfrontps.org. That's July 20 and 21, 7 p.m. show. If you like this podcast and you're a regular listener, consider supporting it by joining the Patreon. It doesn't have to break the bank. You can join for as little as a dollar a month. And when you do that, you get access to free content, and, you know, besides that, it's just a good way of helping me out and saying, hey, I appreciate these stories every week. That link is in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. So now let's go to the second largest city in France, Lyon. And we're going back to the late 1700s. Joey Chestnut is six feet tall and 229 pounds. And in 2021, he ate 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. The last record holders before him were Matt Stoney and Takaru Kobayashi, and uh, they ate 70 and 66, respectively. And while Chestnut is known for the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, he's also broken competitive eating records by swallowing ridiculous amounts of matzo balls, steak, chicken, pizza, just about anything else. And while he is a natural at competitive eating, Joey Chestnut has to train to be able to do what he does. He exercises his mouth and his jaw, which he says usually start to fatigue about seven minutes into a contest. He also goes through cleanses and diets and practice rounds. He says that when he eats the hot dogs every year, it's the equivalent to about 16 pounds of food in him. So he needs to keep his body in shape in order to be able to process that amount with his mouth and his jaw. After a competition, it takes him about two days to feel normal again. But today's story is about a man who never needed to work out to eat ridiculous amounts. It just came naturally to Terrare. Terrare was a man from Lyon, France. He was born in 1772 or thereabouts, and it's unknown if Terrare was even his real name or simply a nickname taken from the French saying Bom Bom Terrare, which translates basically <laughs> to Boom Goes the Dynamite. And Boom Goes the Dynamite. From a very young age, the boy had an insatiable appetite, so much so that he was abandoned by his parents who couldn't afford to keep him fed. How much was this kid eating? Well, as a young kid, he would regularly eat one quarter of a cow, more than his own body weight, and he would do so and never gain weight. He was always a skinny kid, so his parents, just out of self-preservation, kicked him out. He roamed the streets as a teen, eating anything he could, even garbage. He eventually found his way into a band of prostitutes and thieves, and he would travel around with them during the day performing on the streets, eating ridiculous amounts just for the amazement of onlookers for money. And while he was always described as being thin as a rail, his mouth was said to be freakishly large. For the crowd of people, he would swallow corks, rocks, and anything people would point to, and he would just eat them without a problem. 
This included entire baskets of apples and, sadly, cats and dogs. A contemporaneous account from an eyewitness used these exact words, quote, He seized a live cat with his teeth, eventrated it, sucked its blood, and ate it, leaving the bare skeleton only. In about 30 minutes, he rejected the hairs in a manner of birds of prey and carnivorous animals, end quote. At one point, it was reported that he bit the head off an eel, then swallowed the whole eel whole, one bite. Similarly, it was said that he preferred snakes, lizards, and other reptiles. At one point, there's an account of Terare attending a dinner for 15 people. He ate all of the food and drink for all 15 people. And being a skinny guy, when he would do this, it would change his physical appearance. After eating, his abdomen would blow up like a balloon. And while we're talking about his physical characteristics, the guy was disgusting. And not just his eating habits. He was said to be constantly covered in sweat, horribly smelly and unclean. It was said you could smell him so strongly you couldn't stand within 20 paces of the man. And I already mentioned his abnormally large mouth, but inside that mouth, his teeth were dark and permanently stained. And due to the constant shrinking and growing of his abdomen, he was reported to have skin that would hang loosely from his body. After he ate, his eyes would be bloodshot and the smell would get worse. And the guy was constantly farting. Some have said that that's the origin of the use of the phrase bomb bomb terrare to describe him. Boom goes the dynamite. And boom goes the dynamite. Terrare was sort of a vagrant. He didn't have anywhere to go and was literally only motivated to eat. In the 1790s, the War of the First Coalition broke out within France. He joined up with the French Revolutionary Army. Finally, he had found purpose. But if you think modern army rations wouldn't be enough to satisfy your hunger, try being Terrare. He found himself trading all sorts of duties and jobs just to be able to eat the rations of his fellow soldiers. And this still wasn't enough. He would eat everything he could find, including inside dumpsters and trash heaps and all of the gauze for wounds that he could find. And he was still malnourished and ended up in the hospital. Doctors were stumped. No one had any explanation for the strange eating habits or the fact that he couldn't put on weight. The man was constantly malnourished. At one point, the military had an idea to put Terrare's unusual ability to their use. They would turn him into a spy. He would swallow military documents, travel in plain clothes through enemy lines, and deliver plans to people who needed them. In other words, someone had to rummage through his droppings to retrieve the plans. At this point, we're talking about the Army of the Rhine, which was a group that was trying to bring the French Revolution to the Prussians. The generals put him to a test. They put documents inside a wooden box and wrapped it in paper, then gave it to Terrari to eat the entire box. And he did. He ate the box, no problem, and then passed it. And the paper was still intact, and they rewarded him with 30 pounds of random cuttings from a cow. So once again, he'd proven himself. They gave him his first official assignment. A French colonel had been imprisoned in Prussia, and the Army of the Rhine needed to deliver important plans to this colonel. So they gave the plans to Terrare to swallow. What he didn't know was this was just another test. The plans he was carrying were nothing but a note that confirmed that the colonel had in fact gotten the message from Terrare. The note basically said, hey, let us know if you got this, you know, safely. But he didn't know this at the time, so he dressed like a German peasant and headed toward Landau, where the man was being held captive. I mean, heck, he, he already smelled like a peasant, so that probably helped. 
But when locals discovered that he didn't speak their language, it sent up red flags, and before long, he found himself in front of a Prussian commander who was now accusing him of being a spy. Now, he did pass the note, um, and I don't mean pass it to someone else, you know, passed it through his body, and he didn't want it to be discovered, so he dug it out of the... He found it, and he ate it again. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So now the man who ate everything was facing the gallows. History didn't record how, but somehow the Prussian commander changed his mind. Didn't hang Terare, and just had his soldiers beat the crap out of the man instead, and then let him go. Terare returned to France and promptly decided he was sick of this military stuff, so he decided he needed to go back into the hospital and figure out what was wrong with him. At this point in his life, he suffered from constant, horrible diarrhea. Doctors were still confused. They had never seen a case like this. But there's a story that often gets included with Tales of Terare that really caught my eye. Is it true that Terare once ate a living toddler? We'll examine that along with what could have caused his condition after a quick break from our sponsors. I've got to tell you about this new advertiser with the show, and it may be a company that you've never heard of before. It's called Smart Labels, and basically, if you have a company with inventory, they are making the management of that inventory as simple and affordable as it can be. So this is perfect for small business owners. Here's basically how it works. You buy that Smart Labels QR code stickers on Amazon, right? And then the stickers come, you put one on one of your containers, or even like on a shelf, you download the Smart Labels app on your mobile device, and all you have to do is scan the code. The app creates a digital container for you. Then you can just write down all the information about the items that you're cataloging. And then you just take a picture, put that on the, the file. Super easy to do. You'll have all your inventory easily searchable right in the palm of your hand. And a sticker pack only costs $16. The subscription, this is amazing, $30 a year. You can't beat that. So. If you Even if you just want to be super, super organized uh, at home or maybe in your garage, uh, but this is like really perfect for small business, get your Smart Labels stickers on Amazon today. Once again, they are called Smart Labels. You're going to want to check them out. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing bombs, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to the internet says it's true.com slash deals for the link. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. 
You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Much of what we know about Terrare comes from the accounts of his doctor, Pierre-Francois Percy. Percy was the surgeon-in-chief at the military hospital. But some of the rumors about Terrare came from other people at the time, and one of them was about a toddler. At the same time Terrari was in this hospital, a 14-month-old boy disappeared. Many people nearby suspected that the boy was eaten by the insatiable Terrare, but there was never any proof of that, and so he's never formally accused. So we don't have any evidence at all that this was true, but there is this fact. He was known to sneak into the hospital's blood storage and would drink the blood. That has been documented. He was also accused of sneaking into the morgue and feasting on the bodies of the dead. Gross. So maybe it's not that much of a stretch to believe this guy ate a kid. We'll never know. But while So he wasn't formally accused. The hospital, including his doctor, Percy, believed that he ate the kid. So they made him leave the hospital. And four years later, Dr. Percy got word that Terrari wanted to see him. He reluctantly visited Terrari, who is now in a hospital in Versailles, and found him bedridden, ill, and still experiencing constant gastric distress. The diarrhea had never stopped. And to make matters worse, he told Percy he had swallowed a golden fork a few years earlier that was causing him horrible pain. Percy had tried everything with no success. And he now recognized that Terrari was suffering from another ailment, an advanced case of tuberculosis. It killed Terrari within days of Percy's arrival. The details about his autopsy are pretty gruesome. They talk about how quickly the body decayed, how it was rotten on the inside and filled with pus and just lots of ulcers. They never did find a golden fork, but they also never finished the autopsy because the smell was so bad. So sadly, we'll never really know exactly what made him this way. The word for what he experienced throughout his life is polyphagia, an abnormal appetite that just never goes away. But that's generally a symptom, not a cause. The cause could be a lot of different things. Parasites, blood sugar issues, brain chemistry problems. These are just a few of the possible causes. But next time you eat so much, you don't think you could possibly eat another bite, go ahead and load up that fork and do it for Terrare. And boom goes the dynamite. And of course, it's that time. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend. Today, I'm calling a, a relatively new friend. Rebecca Spector uh, is very new, uh, relatively speaking, to the art of magic. Just been doing it for a few years, and uh, but already performing in a way that uh, exceeds her, her years, I think. Um, I, she opened for me at the Chicago Magic Lounge last weekend, and... Uh, and I met her last year when we did the Chicago Magic Lounge. She performs magic in a way that's like bizarre magic, kind of spooky stuff. Um, it's really cool to see someone who's new to the art, uh, you know, who's picked a, a genre and picked a style of performing. That's always great to see. Uh, and I'm happy to have her on the show. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to see you again. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I am so thrilled to be here. I uh, I enjoyed working with you last weekend. Was it last weekend? No, two weekends ago at the Chicago Magic Lounge. Um, and you do a, a sort of a bizarre, spooky style of magic. What led you toward that path? 
yeah, I think that was just always my style and always what I was interested in. I also had sort of an untraditional path toward uh, doing magic seriously. And so like my number one influence, what has always been the amazing Jonathan, because they used to syndicate his specials on Comedy Central when I was like eight. And I was like, well, that's great. And so I think there's just, it's always sort of been been there. It's always been sort of that association for me. And uh, yeah, it's just what I'm interested in. I think both aesthetically and sort of thematically. Yeah. 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 And there are lots, there, there are a few magicians that really could pull, you could pull a lot of inspiration from, you know, like Rob Zabrecki, it comes to mind and Todd yes. Robbins and some of these folks that have, have done, you know, a sort of a sp- spooky style performance. It's a, it's not a very common thing. And so uh, what I was just mentioning was that it's nice to see someone sort of carve out a niche um, in the beginning. Um, you know, it's it it's really hard to figure out your voice in performing. And that's one of the things that seems like you already have have a great start on is like finding out kind of what works with you and what doesn't work with you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's the result of lots of years and years and years of writing and performing, just not magic right and funny enough I think I I was doing stuff that in retrospect really helped me hone my voice and in retrospect I couldn't be doing any of this without all those years but at the time I didn't really know I didn't really feel like I, I really felt like I was having trouble finding my voice I knew what I liked I knew my taste I knew kind of sometimes what I wanted to say but it didn't really connect exactly and then you know I sort of started doing magic just just for fun completely for fun with no other ideas but I think all that background work had already happened and also I was already like a grown-up so I could already have a little bit of a sense of like a little bit more immediately like what I like what I don't like what speaks to me what doesn't um and now it's exciting because now now I'm a few years in where I can really sort of do that with like routines like now I have an even quicker sense of like when I see a routine like oh man that's awesome that's not for me though or oh I kind of like that and definitely I can make it work for me so let's see what you know I so now that sort of sense is getting even sharper and more honed which just lets me kind of work more efficiently which is nice yeah I always say you know when it comes to creativity putting constraints on your creativity is the best way to um, help you guide you along the way is knowing what you aren't so that you can sort of get those things out of your your mind and move in a, in a direction that's congruent with with what you are. Um, all right, Rebecca, let's get into this. Um, the first question, we're actually going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you've got to tell me a joke. And if you get it right, I'll tell you a joke. Here is your question. Terrare was a French man in the 18th century who was known for what? A, eating ridiculous amounts, including piles of garbage and entire live animals. B, being born with a face on the back of his head, or C, having three arms? I don't know if I should be proud or ashamed that I for sure know the answer to this, just from knowledge. Um, But A, he would eat all sorts of things, and um, I'm sure you're going into this in the episode, but um, yeah, he would eat all sorts of things. That is absolutely yeah, <laughs> you got it right. Yeah, all kinds of of weird stuff. Um, and yeah, we tell the story of of all the famous exploits, including the the suspicion that he may have eaten a toddler at one point uh, in yep. a hospital. Um, which you know, it's really hard to verify any of this stuff. He's it's 1700s. You know, they're 
not the best records, but his doctor did keep really, really intact records of a lot of these exploits. So yeah. uh, I owe you a joke. So every 10 ah. years, the monks in this monastery are allowed to break their vow of silence, right? They get to speak two words and 10 years go by and it's one monk's first chance. He thinks for a second and he says, food bad. And then 10 years later, he says, bed hard. It's the big day, right? A decade later, he gives the head monk a long stare and says, I quit. And then the head monk says, I'm not surprised you've been complaining ever since you got here. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, fun one. I like that a lot. Well, thank you for that joke. Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I, I was looking for food jokes and there was the word food in there. So that probably why it came up, but it made me laugh. So there we go. I like that a lot. Sometimes like it's, a lot. it's hard to find like topic specific jokes. Uh, they're all like the joke book style jokes and they're, they're, some of them are just so bad. They're not even worth saying on the pod, but sometimes they're so bad. They are good. Um, you know, so you were talking about oh, yeah. your, your background before you got into magic and our listeners are probably asking the question, what was that? Yeah. So I, you know, I always knew I loved writing and performing and I, so I sort of spent like a long time sort of trying out different ways of doing that. I was a theater major with a concentration in TV and theater and film writing and then got out of college. I started a theater company here in Chicago with some friends and we took it to Steppenwolf and um, created different shows. I would act in those. Um, and then I had a little group where, you know, I was never involved in improv directly, but my friends were. And so I had some friends in improv and the sketch comedy world. And we had what I call like a perform a weird performance already comedy group. And, and that went on for a couple of years in Chicago. We took that off Broadway, got a grant to do that, um, which was really, really fun. And every time I would do stuff, you know, I felt like I was getting kind of closer and closer, but it, it, there was something that it wasn't quite feeling right. And I think for me personally, it sort of, well, it goes down to two things. It's like control and constraints. Like the first one, I love acting because I love performing, but the issue of control, I felt like it's such a lucky thing to get an audition for a project that you actually connect with and then to get a role that you actually connect with and then to have a director and a team that's smart that you connect with. And, you know, and if you don't, then you're still spending you know, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. like after work, if you have the job, a day job, which at the time I did, you know, you know, maybe playing a role that you maybe or maybe, you know, you might just be playing a, a tree in someone else's project, which may or may not be making you feel fulfilled. So I went into the space like, okay, I want more control. I want to, even if I'm performing for fewer people or for a shorter amount of time, I want to like direct those words. So then, you know, we get into the the sketch comedy group and we were this bizarre little group and we got to do what we wanted and stuff. And that, that felt, and then I was like, well, you know, stand up really makes sense. My whole life I've been fascinated by stand up. I did it a bunch in college that, okay. It's just four minutes. Who knows what the crowd is, but you have ultimate control. But then we get into that issue of constraints, which I personally really work best with constraints yeah. and so, yeah, so it just, it wasn't feeling right. And the, the narrative with standup is that it's the narrative with a lot in our capitalist society is it's supposed to be hard and it's supposed to be unpleasant. And, <laughs> you know, so if it's unpleasant, that means you're doing it right. So even though it like really didn't, I wasn't, you know, so then I started doing magic for fun. And then I was like, oh, you're allowed to go to lectures where they just 
tell you this stuff. So I would go and I would take notes. And then I met people there who told me about clubs and magazines. And I just, and I very, I was very specific with myself. I was like, we're not going to have any magic goals. We're not doing this for a reason. We're not, you know, this is just for fun. Um, and well, you know, yeah. there you go. It's too bad you're <laughs> not, it's too bad you're not in a city that supported, um, you know, a sketch and improv more. Um. <laughs> I know. I mean, and really, I mean, like, what a testament. I mean, I I love Chicago so much, and I think uh, my story, for lack of a better phrase, is like such a testament to what a great community that we have here. I mean, that you're able to do, yeah. Like, if I said, "Oh, I'm going to start yeah. a theater troupe in in Columbus, Ohio," I could do it. It would be an uphill grind the entire way with with trouble finding audience members. To be honest, you know, it's. It's really tough when you're not in a, you know, a large uh, tourist city to yeah. to bring in people to see entertainment. They want to see entertainment. It's just that, you know, everyone's tired at the end of the day and they won't make the time. Anyway, let's keep moving on, oh, yeah. Rebecca. Uh, you are one for one for this next question. We're going to play for a story about a magic trick that just didn't work out, whether that means the trick didn't work, it didn't work for you, whatever. Um, and then uh, if you get it right, I will share one of mine. In competitive hot dog eating, Kobayashi made the Solomon method popular. Which one of these describes the Solomon method? A, eating two hot dogs at once. B, starting by eating slowly and gradually working the tempo up as the contest goes. Or C, splitting the hot dogs in half. Uh, all I know, I thought one of those was going to be like soaking the bun first that's all i know about the techniques i based on the name if my hebrew school education from decades ago is holding up probably the third one where he splits in half that is right he split it in half tell me about this i don't have the hebrew school uh, what, what about solomon split the things in half what is that oh, connection so, a little bit on theme with uh, with today's topic. Apparently, the story goes, there was King Solomon, he was a king, and this lady came to him with a baby and said, this baby is mine. And this other set lady said, no, the baby is mine. And he said, and they kept fighting, and he said, okay, I'll settle this. We'll cut the baby in half. Oh and one God. of the ladies was like, yeah, that sounds good. And he was like, you're not the one. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he dipped it in water and ate it. Um, this, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the Solomon method inv involves splitting the hot dogs and buns in half before eating them. This makes the throat act as a conveyor belt. Takaru Kobayashi tears the hot dog in half and places each half in both corners of his mouth since the molars are used for grinding and chewing, chewing large pieces of food. Um, and it's something I didn't I didn't know that he did that. I mean, I've seen them all dip the uh -huh. water and I think they all pretty much do that now. But um, yeah. So, okay, let's say a trick that didn't work. I may have told this on the story in the, in the show in the past, but I had this notion and this was probably at least 10 years ago. No, it was more than that because this was early on in my college performing career. So we're talking, this was maybe like 2005, 2004, 2005, something like that. Long time ago, almost 20 years ago. I thought that there was like this huge cult following for the Golden Girls you know, who, which was in reruns <laughs> at the time. And so I had this idea of uh, using, there's a, there's a trick called McComical prediction. Billy McComb made it popular. The, the lar there was a jumbo version called jumbo jumble. The idea is that you show a bunch of things and the person's going to choose one. Okay. And the audience sees all the different ones. And then the person doesn't see, but you've switched those out to be all the same. So you're 
the audience is seeing you force them to pick a particular thing. They pick it, they hold it up against their body, and then you have a prediction that you've made. Well, the audience is like, ha ha, he stacked the deck in this in his favor and the person on stage doesn't know. Well, then the, per- the thing that the person chooses is different, which is the big surprise. Like, right how'd that happen? <laughs> and then you look at your prediction and it has also changed to match the, the, the mistake. So I did this with characters from the Golden Girls. I had eight by tens of all the characters from the Golden Girls. And so many references, Stanley's Bornack and Cheesecake and all these things. And, and the audience did not give an F. They didn't know what these people were. They didn't care. This was a college, this was uh, Aquinas University. And this was, like I said, early 2000s, <laughs> mid 2000s. And the whole thing was crickets. And it was me basically rushing to get the trick over with because these people were saying, why is he holding it? Who are these old ladies? Are these his aunts? What is this? And uh, so I never did it again. And I, I don't think that's fair. I think I need to give it another shake with different audiences. And um, I yeah. guarantee there are people out there that would enjoy this. I just um, I quit and I don't even have the eight by tens anymore. So that was my trick that didn't work out. (laughs) I thought it was going to be so good. And it was it was which one of these we're going to choose one of these for you to have a romantic encounter with. And um, (laughs) obviously all the pictures were Blanche. Okay, so he was going to pick Blanche, but then he ends up picking Sophia. And then my (laughs) prediction matched to be Sophia. So, yeah, there you go. There's your story. I mean, I I love the Golden Girls. That said, I feel like if I saw that and didn't know who they were, I would love it even more. Yeah. But that's just me, maybe. That's uh that's brutal. That's so funny. I'm so yeah. sorry that happened it was to rough. you. There is there is a crowd out there for that though. There really is. I think so. I, I think most crowds, but college students, you never know. Sometimes they really cling on to, you know, um cult revivals of things. And then other times it's just nothing, you know, like I could probably do that routine with characters from Vanderpump Rules right now and it would go really well. But I refuse to watch the show. My wife is currently watching it and going through it. And um, and she's not even into it that much. She just like wanted to talk to a friend about it who was really into it. So anywho. Um, so for our third question, we always do the same prize, which is the Internet says it's true sticker three by three sticker. Um, you can win one of these if you get this question. Correct. Um, polyphagia is the word for excessive hunger. Which one of these is the word for the opposite of polyphagia? A, anaphagia, B, pertussis, or C, anorexia? Oh, interesting. I see what you're, this is, you're getting those Latin prefixes all mixed up in there. I think it's the first one the anna one that's not anorexia okay the answer is anorexia uh anaphasia is a word i made up i'm using the oh. <laughs> using the latin root um see so- i thought you were trying to trip me up with like a one like dip not eating but for different reasons yeah or that's something. what i was surprised so when I, you know when i looked at this like polyphagia is a symptom, not a cause, right? So, yeah. So, terrare had polyphagia, but that's not what caused it. That's just what happened, which means always being hungry, no matter what. And anorexia is not being hungry for whatever reasons. Um, so, you know, there's some, just like there's a root cause that causes anorexia, there's a root cause yeah. that causes polyphagia. Anaphagia, I just took that word phagia and put Anna in front of it. Pertussis is whooping cough. So, <laughs> that yeah. has nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, 
Uh, that's a that was a tricky one. That was I, I will admit that was a, a very tricky question. But anorexia is the opposite of what terrare was. Um, all right, so far you're two for three. And question four, we're going to play for an embarrassing story. So if you get this question wrong, you've got to tell us something that's embarrassing that's happened to you. It doesn't have to be performing. It could be anything. Um, and if you get it right, I'll tell an embarrassing story that's happened to me. What was the fastest time ever taken to eat an entire head of lettuce? <laughs> okay, so someone did this. They ate a head of lettuce and it was A, 1 minute 31 seconds, B, 15 seconds, or C, 45 seconds? This is another tough question, I will admit. So it's either Whoa. a minute and a half, one minute, so it was one minute, 31 seconds is A, B is 15 seconds, or C, 45 seconds. I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to make like a measured, like take like a measured sort of medium Goldilocks approach to this one. <laughs> so since I don't have a tremendous background in eating whole heads of lettuce, so I can't, I feel like that's all I have to go on. Um, so we're going to go with, we're going to go with C. The answer, uh, 40, which I please, believe it or not, is a one minute, 31 seconds. Like is another tricky question. It really was because Fair. I would have probably done the same and said like middle of the road. There's no reason to think. Um, and when you hear three options and there's the longest one, you think that that's not the, anyway. Yeah. This was vegan speed eater, Mike Jack of Canada. He's broken several plant-based food records, including fastest time to eat a head of lettuce. He needed just one minute. And 31.053 seconds, he did it in 2021. Uh, so, you know, like, there are so, so many deep niche <laughs> categories inside of competitive eating that it's it's crazy. This guy just does plant-based food records, which is a crazy Love phrase that. in and of itself. Do you have a, an embarrassing story that's happened to you? Yes. And I meant to do research to get the, the all the facts straight, but I've, <laughs> I've forgotten the name of the person okay. involved in this story, but that almost makes it better. You'll see what I mean. I, so, oh my God, what was her name? Anyway, whatever. Someone listening will be screaming at their, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is about 20. Okay. So this is maybe 2012, 2013. My company was, you know, I'd gotten my theater company had gotten picked for the Steppenwolf Wolf Garage Rep series, which means, you know, they give you space and money and you get to put on your show in there in the Steppenwolf space. And we were running auditions and I was going up the elevator to, you know, to help with the auditions. And we had already started beforehand and I was coming for my shift and I was kind of rushing around and I'm in the elevator and I make it in. And it's me and like some guy and some older uh, a lady, just older than me. I mean, you know, um, they, you know, definitely the sort of you know an age and a bearing that would imply that she is like established in her career, maybe um, maybe a theater related career, um, maybe even at Steppenwolf, one might say. And if one had like put these things together in their head before walking into the elevator maybe one wouldn't so she made a little bit of small talk with me and my embarrassing moment is I asked the artistic director of Steppenwolf who had had that role for like decades if she worked there and she um she did work there 
Indeed. She, she didn't do anything to make me feel bad at all, but she was like, oh yeah, so I'm the artistic director. And I was like, oh, right. I already, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, don't ask her if she works here. There's gotta be a better way to phrase this. What if, <laughs> what if you're going to regret this? You don't, but the words were already, yeah. it's like in a cartoon where I could like see them like floating in the air. And I was just like, oh yeah, do you, are you, what do you do here? Or like, do you work? And I just, I can't even remember the exact words because I definitely like blanked out and I, I think she she was totally cool and everything and but I think generally if you're in that space and sometimes people do try to make me feel better they're like well you know how are you supposed to know everyone who works this and I'm which is totally fair and perhaps even she would say that but I think also it's like she was kind of the the figurehead and the face of it of this major theatrical institution yeah in the city. And it may have been refreshing for her. Who knows? Maybe, you know, if she's used maybe. to uh, actors sort of kissing up to her, you know, that may have been a refreshing interaction. Who knows? Oh, well, yeah. thank you so much for for uh, for sharing that with us. You are currently two for four, but this one can turn it all around. This is the last question. It's for all the marbles. Rebecca, if you get it right, you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. But if you get it wrong, banned for life, there will be no more. Fair. Here is Fair. your question. This one is not a multiple choice. If you could travel back to the past, what would be the first dish that you would eat? You know what, man? So this is one of those questions. I I do wish, I mean, I, I hate having to pick just one. Yeah. I am tempted. Now, let me just give a few others just so like we know that I'm generally like a smart and cultured person. There's like, you know... There are these YouTube channels where this guy like makes like old colonial foods, yes. you know, like hundred year old salad dressing things. <laughs> yeah, it it's always like, looks amazing. disgusting. I don't know. To it me, does. I see those things and I'm like, oh, ketchup pie. Okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> you know? Yes, that's a great example. I, I always get curious about those. And I always get curious as to whether like produce at all tasted different back then. And these are the sort of smart things that I think about. That said. I was merely a child when McDonald's stopped using beef tallow in its French fries. Whoa. And yeah, because um, I would just like to make a quick plug for our sponsor, uh, Fatco, which makes um, skin products out of tallow. Just so you know. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I heard that on the last episodes and yeah. maybe that's what like subtly influenced me. I didn't me, know that they that ever awesome. did use beef tallow or stopped using beef tallow. So you think if you could go back, and, and by the way, that is a right answer. Um, if you could go back in time, it would be really interesting to do a taste test between old McDonald's fries and new McDonald's fries. But you think you could you can remember the taste of their old fries? I cannot, okay. actually, which is why I want to do this. So there was like a whole This American Life episode where they uh -huh. where they delved into this. Uh, why they went away from beef tallow was sort of... Um, like nutrition theater. It was like, oh, we're making things healthier. It didn't actually make things healthier, but it placated the people who wanted them to stop using. Oh, I guarantee it was 100% a cost-based yeah. decision. Yes. And apparently it's not so much the flavor I'm curious about. And I know that there are places who do deep beef tallow fries. I know, I know, but I want, I want to try the McDonald's ones because apparently they used to be, I can't get this phrase out of my head, quote, shatteringly crisp. They would just be <laughs> okay. the whole... Other, a whole other thing. The other thing, a, a better answer other than this, 
I, as long as we we're talking biblically, I've always wondered. Are we fundamentalists? Are we talking biblically? Who, well, we were. <laughs> okay, I got you. Oh, Solomon. Yes. Okay. Well, I thought I thought too much about this question. I've been like thinking. Yeah. Um, is people who believe every word of the Bible is literal? Yes. I really want to. I want them to know. I want to know what manna from heaven, like what they're picturing. Oh. Like this food that like came yeah. down. Oh. Like. Huh. Ew. Like, what was that? Yeah, interesting. It's it's like the um, what was in Greek mythology the nectar of the gods? Um, ambrosia. Ambrosia. It's like that. You know, we in modern times have made ambrosia a thing, right? Where that's an actual dish with a recipe. But ambrosia to that, we don't know what that was back then to those people. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting. Uh, so I had I th- I thought about this one too. And this is very strange because I didn't we didn't talk about what we were going to say for this or anything beforehand. But mine is also a McDonald's thing. (laughs) If I could travel back in the past. And okay, I feel the need to do a disclaimer like you did. I love all different types of foods. I'm not sure that there is like a particular cultural food that I haven't enjoyed. I like almost everything. French food. I haven't found anything. I like French food yet. But um, I specifically love different like Asian foods and things. and. Um, but McDonald's pizza was amazing. Um, and they had McDonald's pizza for a brief time in the nineties. And I, and and it may be a a nostalgia thing for me because my high school had open lunch and, um, Mm, I sometimes would have my mom meet me and take me and we would go to McDonald's together. And it was a really nice thing. Um, you know, I would go to lunch a lot of times with like we jump a bunch of us get in a car like friends, you know, and you get in a car and go to Taco Bell or whatever. But I remember sitting in like my mom's red Dodge Caravan at lunch and eating a McDonald's pizza. And there was something about it. The crust had was like a crumb crust on the bottom with like. um, Yeah, with like crumbs. And I don't know, there was and there is one apparently one McDonald's in the country I don't know where it is that still serves the pizza, but I don't even think it's the same pizza. Um, I would love to have a another taste of that type of pizza of that. Like, you know, it was just un, it was unlike any other type of pizza. And I'm a pizza connoisseur. Like, I freaking love pizza. So that's my answer. McDonald's pizza. Even when you look it up and find pictures of it, it brings me back because it looks different than anything else. So there you go. Well, I mean, did... there's no replacement for no, no absolutely. And this nostalgia is is probably most of the things that I really love in my life are because of nostalgia. And the older I get, the more nostalgia becomes important to me. Rebecca, it's been awesome having you on the podcast today. Can you tell us what uh, like where you where where people can find you, like where you're performing and where they can see you work? Yeah. So um, I'm a house magician at the Chicago Magic Lounge. So if you're in the Chicago area, uh, you can often come and see me either at your tables or on stage or in the uh, 654 Club. Uh, I also perform around town. So definitely if you're in in Chicago, um, come check me out, get in touch and I'll let you know my upcoming dates. I always put my upcoming dates on my Instagram, which is Rebecca Specter Magic. It's spelled just the way it is here and in the descriptions. Um, you can also just kind of type in Rebecca space magic space Chicago and hopefully that'll You'll land you there. Yeah, sometimes the last name trips that's people up. That's Spectre, S-P-E-C-T-R-E. 
Um, for for yes. those of you that are listening without looking at the show notes, it's Rebecca Spector. Um, search for that on Instagram. You'll see all those dates. Thank you so much for taking some time today to join us. And I hope to have you back Thank sometime. Thank you so much. That would be awesome. I had such a blast. Thank you so much, Michael. This is just, this is just so much fun. Thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. Well, that's the show for this week. I'd like to thank Rebecca Spector for being my guest. Here's the voice of a toddler that was not eaten by Terrare. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Joshua Endress, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Kemplin, and the show's official Emperor, KickTrack. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and all audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. 